This Word on Fire Minute is brought to you by Advantage Futures. As Catholics, we must take advantage of new technology to spread the faith. Wordonfire.org is on the front lines, featuring the work of one of the church's best messengers, Father Robert Barron. At wordonfire.org, you'll find inspirational podcasts, videos, audio sermons, books, DVDs, and the Catholicism Project. It is one of the most ambitious efforts ever to promote the Catholic faith to the world. Catholicism is Father Barron's global documentary series, filmed in high definition and now in production for TV and DVD. Father Barron's series will illustrate the beauty and depth of the church and explain the Catholic faith on our own terms. It will be an exciting new way for families, parishes, and schools to teach Catholicism. Preview the production, join our email list, and contribute to the Catholicism Project at wordonfire.org. Become part of the story today. This is Cardinal Francis George. I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Word on Fire Catholic Ministries is a nonprofit ministry at the forefront of Catholic evangelization, using new media to spread the faith on every continent. Father Barron challenges us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of Love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us, so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The global benefactors of Word on Fire, with the support of the Archdiocese of Chicago, now present Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, how appropriate that right in the middle of Lent, the Church invites us to meditate upon the Ten Commandments. This is our first reading for this weekend, is the presentation of these great laws that ought to structure one's spiritual and moral life. First thing perhaps to notice about them, they're called commandments, not suggestions. We see that they are objective and not determined by subjective choice. How prominent that is today. Pope Benedict, of course, talks about it a lot. This dictatorship of relativism. Your moral life is simply a matter of your own whim, your own decision. Well, it's good for me, but not for you. Yeah, that's your law, but don't impose it on me. No, no. The Bible is very clear about the objectivity of these great laws. I'll return to this at the end of this homily, but I'll say it now at the outset. When we take something seriously, we do not accept relativism. There's a basic principle. You take something like golf seriously, You're not into relativistic rules, man. You want to know what the rules are, what governs the golf swing. You take playing a violin seriously. You're not into into relativism about the rules of the violin. So do you take your spiritual life seriously? Do you take your moral life seriously? Well, then you want commandments, not subjective whims. We know the first three commandments, the so-called first table of the law, have to do with God. Because God is the ground and source of all morality. You know, I'm in debates once in a while with uh, atheists and agnostics who say, well, I don't believe in God, but I'm, I'm trying to be a good person. I think that morality can exist apart from God. And I think those people mean well, but deep down I don't believe them. And I don't think they believe themselves. Without God, without a firm and final anchor, the door is wide open to relativism. It just is. 
And so the first table of the law has to do with our relation to God. Then the second table, the last seven commandments, have to do with our moral relation with each other. But see, the two are connected. Love the Lord your God, Jesus says, with all your heart. Then love your neighbor as yourself. Those are, are correlate tables. Let's look at them now one by one. Just a short reflection on each of the Ten Commandments. Number one, I'm the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods besides me. The best way to understand what a person is about is to inquire as to what he or she worships. Let me say that again. If you want to know somebody, you want to understand someone, the best way to do it is to inquire as to what he or she worships. What you worship is what you hold as the highest value. And see, that will determine, in turn, everything else about you. What's the anchor? What's the center? What's the center of gravity of your life? That's what you worship. So, this commandment is asking us, what do you honor? God? Or something else? Sex? Pleasure? Money? Power? Position? Status? What do you worship? And the first command is, you can have no gods besides me. See, there's no competition here possible. God is a jealous God. Don't think of that as some kind of emotional snit that he falls into. It's making a spiritual point. There can be no competition here at the level of worship. So, worship the one God. Second commandment, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. It's interesting how the commandments will focus on speech. Speech. What we say is an important thing. It's not just trivial, not just secondary. When we become casual in our speech about God, then we soon disrespect God. When we disrespect God, we eventually have contempt for him. That's a sort of steady declension. The way you talk about God influences the way you think about God. And finally, the way you act in regard to God. Oh, no, no, I, I have these great you know, personal attachments to God, but I, I sometimes get casual in my speech about him. Eh, be careful. This commandment recognizes the importance of how we reverence God with our speech. Third commandment. Remember to keep holy the Sabbath day. How important this is, how central it was for biblical Jews, for Israelites. Our worship of God, our willingness to place God at the very center of our concerns, has to be embodied or it will fade away. You know, again, there's a, a typical problem of our time that I would refer to as angelism. The view that we're more like angels, we don't have bodies or the body doesn't matter. As long as deep down inside of me I've got certain convictions, well, that's enough. Well, that would be true if we were angels, but we're not. So again, I'll say, our worship of God has to become embodied in certain definite rituals and practices or it will fade away. Making worship optional, and that's so typical of our time, isn't it, is as counterindicated as making practice optional for a would-be golfer or guitarist or dancer. You have to practice your faith. 
So keep holy the Sabbath day. What an important commandment. That's why the church has this command of weekly mass attendance. It doesn't make that up. It's grounded in this uh, third commandment. And this one, I'm sad to say, is so widely disregarded today. And it's a source of a lot of mischief. Now we move to the second table, our dealings with one another. And the very first one, honor your father and your mother. Now, friends, here's the first thing I want to note about this. This is not a matter of sentimentalism. You know, I think you'll agree with me, just the, the most casual survey of the Bible reveals that the Bible is not a sentimental document. It's not a sentimental book. This commandment about honoring your father and mother has nothing to do with having warm feelings about your parents. Now, don't get me wrong. I have nothing against warm feelings about your parents. Nothing we're wrong with that. But that's not the commandment. You can't command emotion so much. The commandment is that we should honor them. We should honor them. What's at stake here? I think it's that biblical sense that the foundational social unit is the family. All other structures in our society depend upon the integrity of the family, and the integrity of the family depends ultimately upon a children, a child's respect for his parents. This is finally a sort of political commandment. It's a social commandment about what makes society healthy. Fifth commandment, you shall not kill. This is, of course, the central command of the second table of the law. All legitimate moral systems hinge upon the respect for innocent human life. If we can find an excuse for taking an innocent life, then anything goes. And this is the problem with all forms of relativism, however noble their intent. They threaten, ultimately, innocent life. There are too many moral systems around today, and not just the, the egregiously uh, problematic ones, but too many moral systems that insist that, well, you know, if you can find a, a good enough excuse, that even the taking of innocent life can be justified for a cause, political or cultural, that's noble enough. Friends, when we walk down that road, we are walking down the road to moral degradation. Every tyrant and scoundrel in history has come up with a good reason for killing the innocent. The fifth commandment stands athwart all such attempts to enthrone relativism. Sixth commandment, you shall not commit adultery. Just think for a moment how much heartbreak in human history would have been avoided had this commandment been assiduously followed. What threatens a marriage most is adultery, the violation of trust between the spouses. Almost everything else in a marriage, personality conflicts, quirks of behavior, disagreement about the raising of children, etc., etc., almost everything else can be worked through. But adultery cuts to the heart of a marriage. And so the Ten Commandments say, don't do it. Seventh, you shall not steal. Every society recognizes the poison introduced into a community by theft. Catholic social teaching acknowledges the legitimacy of private property, land and goods that are proper to us, that we've earned with what we have legitimately worked for. 
When private property is denied, as in certain totalitarian systems, or when it's violated through theft, the dignity and freedom of the individual are undermined. Just a sidelight here, we might attend with profit to Thomas Aquinas' observation that gossiping, which steals the reputation of another, is a violation of the Seventh Commandment. Eighth, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Again, here's a commandment having to do with speech. Don't use your speech to undermine the reputation of somebody else. You know, most of us learn fairly early on not to use overt aggression against others. We don't get into fistfights or gunfights with them. But, but, all of us sinners are extremely deft at wielding the weapon of the nasty word, of the cutting remark, the backstabbing observation. So learn to tell the truth about others and not to harm them with your speech. Lastly, you shall not covet your neighbor's house and you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. Coveting. Coveting what others have is a major source of mischief in human affairs. I mentioned before to you the theory of the great René Girard. Girard said that we desire things in a mimetic or imitative way. That means it's not just the objective value in the thing that we desire. It's the fact that somebody else desires it that makes that object so desirable to us. Now, again, think about it in terms of the advertising culture. All of advertising is predicated upon that principle. We want something because some famous person wants it. We want it because somebody else wants it. Well, Girard's point is, in this mimetic desire, rivalries arise. Tensions arise. Ten Commandments recognizes this. They know it. And so they say, don't covet your neighbor's house and goods. Don't covet your neighbor's wife. Don't desire the things that they have. Now listen, desire something like them. Nothing wrong with that. Desire something like what your neighbor has. Desire a woman like your neighbor's wife. Nothing wrong with that. But stop playing this terrible rivalrous game of desiring the very things that they desire. Again, just conclude. We accept rules in any area of life, as I said, that we take seriously. If you're not serious about something, then you accept relativism. But when you take it seriously whether it's sports or the arts or your business, you take rules very seriously. So why, friends, should we be balking at the rules that govern the whole of life, the manner in which one lives in the presence of God? Take the time, sometime today, meditate upon these Ten Commandments, these rules that structure a healthy and happy spiritual life. And God bless you. I hope you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George, and I pray that God will bless you and those you love. 